how big of a stack of cash you have to have for six trillion dollars? We just print it like there's no consequence. There is a consequence. Inflation on the cost of silent I call it a democracy killer. Inflation destroys democracy. In the times of war, if you study history in the times of war, guess what? They inflated their money. It was one of the greatest things that led to the world of war. Was that when the dollar was inflated, they lost the meal class because they were the to afford it when they What's up, everybody? Welcome to Brigham Young Money. It's a wonderful President's Day. It's probably not going to be President's Day when you listen to this because I'm very slow on uploading the episodes. But that's my problem, not yours. Anyway, you got Greg and you got Jordan here. Um, Kyle is, we think he's alive. He's somewhere between Driggs and Salt Lake City. I don't know where. It's like the uh, shit kicker uh, Bermuda Triangle. So, <laughs> so he's out there somewhere. But um, yeah. I'm going to buy a gun. Um, I, I don't currently own a gun, but I'm going to buy a gun just so that I can like kidnap uh, Kyle and hold him at gunpoint so he could be here for the next episode. These are all jokes. Greg is not currently thro- threatening our co-host, just to let you know, allegedly. Par- parody non-actionable. Exactly. All right. Perfect. So I'm Greg, talking about playing Red Dead Redemption with him. It's a great game. Yeah, I know. Like Minecraft. We love playing Minecraft. <laughs> so Greg, you and I had a pretty eventful weekend. You know, it do we feels w- like a bit of a bit of a rebirth. Question. Do I, we want to talk about this first or do we want to go through the hell lines? Oh, let's talk about this in the intro. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We, we definitely got to do this. Yeah. And then we'll go into the head, hell lines. So, Greg, what was our weekend like? This weekend was a rebirth. We came, we, we crawled into the Grand America as uh, lowly serfs in the uh, game of life. <laughs> a couple of caterpillars. Oh, my God. And came out the front doors as beautiful strong strapling alpha butterflies we we figured out everything that a mixture of bull testosterone cocaine and a lukewarm bucked up energy drink can get you and apparently that's a lot uh i i found out the the reason for the fall of rome I, f- I found out which chalk I should use at the gym uh, for maximum deadlift capacity. Uh, we- I-, I learned that I need uh, about six to 12 inches uh, more in my will well in my truck. <laughs> if I want to be considered an alpha, my, my tires are much too small. Yeah, we, you know, and I learned just an incredible amount of business 
the highlight of which being uh, was meeting Mark and Deanne Stidman when they were sitting behind us at lunch and having Mark give me the advice of uh, the key to business being uh, staying honest in principle. They were not there for that. I don't think they were. No, they, just, they like, weren't. Were randomly, like just, just an incredibly like serendipitous moment where like we were there for Alpha Con and just happened to run into Mark and Deanne Stidman. Just the absolute craziest thing ever, too. Just because like, <laughs> because we're wandering around this Alpha Con thing, and just because like whatever, we're we're dressed up like complete dipshits, especially like myself, <laughs> who's like wearing like a Vetro. Like Velcro hat and a camo hoodie, and like I had, I would, I had pit vipers. Yeah, you did, but you know, we make that work. Uh, but <laughs> like, it's amazing too, just like wandering around. It's like, man, today was pretty weird, but that was pretty cool. And then we sat down, and I remember just like looking at you, and like right behind you, I saw like like bottle blonde hair. And I was like, and at first, I didn't think it was her. Like, I thought, like, I know this person from somewhere. And it's like, I don't know where. And then I just like, my eyes just kind of went over to the right, like like 18 <laughs> inches. And I saw that like bright white goatee. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> it's the people who sell the ugliest leggings possible and kind of sort of run an alleged pyramid scheme. <laughs> I mean... It, it's it was the perfect Brigham Young money weekend. It was because we've seen like so many like characters from like episodes we've had in the past too. <clears throat> like the only thing I can compare it to is like it's exactly how I think like taking a hit of DMT is just because yeah. like this is like the last few things like thoughts my brain's gonna have before the <laughs> lights go out for the last time. It's just like oh yeah, Lula Rowe and also uh, uh, Jimmy Rex. Sure, why not, dude? I can guarantee you I'm going to be on my deathbed. And the last thing I'm going to think about is Mark Stidman telling me to stay principled. Oh my God. What, a, what, a, what a treat that was. Yeah. Just, yeah. and I remember an incredible the, weekend filled with incredible people. We, and, we met a lot, a lot of, we, we made a lot of friends. I, I have to say that T Tommy Loren, uh, open invitation for you to come on the podcast and tell us your plastic surgery secrets because your surgeon is uh a plus you look great you know what i actually respect her the most out of all of the alpha con people because she was a mercenary like you yeah, knew she, she you know exactly what she was she was there to get a check in and out in 20 minutes getting the check i'm gone bye yeah totally respect it like she wasn't all that happy when I asked her, you know, if she still talks to Hassan Piker, but it was a question <laughs> I had to ask. The people had to know. The people had to know. Oh my goodness. Uh, who else did we see there? We, we didn't see too much. I think I saw like that Keith Yaki guy that was standing outside. Like he's going to tell us how to fuck our wives. It's going to be great. Oh my God. The worst thing I ever did was put my email address into that one too. Cause I get the worst emails from that one oh, too. Oh no. <laughs> it, it was, uh, I do. Like I it was do, my backup one wanna... too. So, but yeah, like it is always just like, you know what? <laughs> you're a cuck unless you could it's like oh my lord it's bad it's bad that's all i can say like i'm not even gonna dig up like an email because honestly like that would just be too much it's like I, no but yeah AlphaCon was great uh i'm gonna go buy a lifted f350 that uh it is only capable of like hauling like 1200 pounds and also killing 30 people and just backing out 
you're it's going to stall out the second you put a let's go Brandon flag on because it doesn't have the toning capacity. It, it's I it, do. It's so top heavy. The moment you take a left hand turn anywhere, it rolls. <laughs> it just rolls. <laughs> yeah, I do really want to give a, a quick shout out to the uh, the means TV folks for uh, for hanging out and, and chatting with us. Those are some good. Good folks. So shout out to them. They made Alvacon that much more fun. Um, sorry, folks. We did everything we could actually try to get into the meetings, but uh, we're not going to spend $3,000. And so we did what we could to try to be covert about it. Um, they weren't very happy when I told them that I was part of the press um, and was covering the event, um, <laughs> which ironically kind of blew our cover when we got kicked out as soon as that happened. Um but we we tried we tried folks and that's that's all all we can really do i know i we we uh missed out on jimmy rex talking about his uh sleepover camp for totally straight dudes where no women are allowed um god just like thinking about all those people just like who go to that thing it's just like the, the bull the bull's alternative history class the the guy who sells patriot gear yeah. Oh my God. It really was. I think like you, you hit the nail on the head in our, in our Slack channel that alpha con is just like the Jordan Belfort. Sell me this pen speech on repeat, but it's done by a bunch of guys with worse CTE than uh Burgess Owens. Yeah. It's like, it, yeah, it's Jordan Belfort, but if he got kicked in the head by a mule. <laughs> yeah. But uh, again, we came out of this experience smarter, uh, stronger, more organized, and the haters and losers be damned. This weekend, personal records in both bench and deadlift. Coincidence? I think not. No, absolutely not. Killing it. I mean, you are setting PR records. Uh, I'm tearing muscles in my shoulder. Um, but, you know, we're all setting goals. It's all about new experiences and overcoming challenges and that is what makes us true alphas. Exactly. It, it, it's also because we're willing to give them $3,000. <laughs> Are you an alpha? Really... Unless you give $3,000 to learn about alleged like low-level credit fraud. It was kind of funny that everybody in attendance was just like some sort of iteration of Ben Shapiro. God. Yeah, my, my wife was going through Instagram looking for things from like Grand America at that time too. And... Who? Listen, if you can only imagine if you paid three thousand dollars to that, I don't, I don't judge you for that. I just want you to know you could do so much better, like in literally anything. Like I don't, I don't know why you would even go there, but I just want you to know it's okay. <laughs> but also, since you have three thousand dollars to spare, I have a course to uh, teach you how to be cool. Um. You can pay. We've got a ton of backlogged Patreon episodes. <laughs> Five bucks a month, man. That's a lot cheaper than three thousand. But if you want to give us three thousand, I'll take it. Listen, like, if we you got just all sorts it. of causes. God, uh, I'm just sad Tim Ballard wasn't there, just because he dropped out like the moment. Uh, the moment this thing started blowing up, he realized he was under federal investigation. Yeah, allegedly, he, allegedly, like yeah, he. Well, I mean, also at the same point, too, he probably realized they couldn't pay him as retainer. So he was like, I got to go. 
Yeah. Tim Which Ballard is funny because isn't he good friends with Jimmy Rex? Uh, yeah, actually. Aren't, aren't they boys? Yeah, but that was before, uh, you know, the hard periods for, for Tim. Oh, God. Oh, uh, well. Sucks to suck. Like Hopefully, I said. Can't wait to come. I, I, I really, truly cannot wait for next year. Honestly, I can't wait either. I think I'm also going to have an F-350 that has a paint job on it that just gives people optical migraines. <laughs> I'm still wondering, was that like, was that snow camo or was it like a legit QR code? It, I'm pretty sure it was snow camo because that was just like the digi camo they used to use for a few years before everyone realized like, oh yeah, yeah, this shit doesn't work. The last thing a Utah quarterback sees before he dislocates his shoulder. Or the last thing a Utah player sees before TCU just stomps them. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Great jerseys. Glad we never wore those again. All right. All right. So last, the last headline, I'm sure um, anybody who listens to this show um, was made aware that there was a mass shooting in Portland at a uh, Amir Locke uh protest organization amir lock of course being the uh african-american man who was shot dead in a no knock raid in minnesota turns out that the uh, mass shooter has been identified his name is ben smith he is 44 years old um and it's you know it's it's another one of the just terrible tales of people getting radicalized online um apparently ben was a part of the furry community which has alt-right and nazi ties um he became radicalized online uh, had shown his support for uh andy no uh, as well as kyle rittenhouse um and again just another example another another iteration of far-right disinformation radicalization uh, manifesting itself in bloodshed. Yeah. And I mean, that's all it really needs to be said too. like the fact that like Andy Doe and Andy knows been on Twitter, like for the last like day and a half or so trying to like disavow Blocking everyone. Yeah. Anybody who brings this up, he blocks and like just spreads disinformation. And again, like it's, it's so vital and so, Disignition critical to vet your sources and understand where you're getting your information from. It, it honestly shows what a joke Twitter is. The fact that they banned Donald Trump, but not Andy. No, like who do you right. think has more blood in his hands for their Twitter account? Donald Trump or Andy? No. Cause like Donald Trump is going to be out there. Like <laughs> washed up psycho. Like, we, we continue talking like his name keeps going up. Someone like Ben Shapiro, who's, inspired multiple mass shootings yeah like like the new zealand shooter like his manifesto had like tons of citations like ben shapiro it was just yeah same with the guy who shot up the mosque in canada yeah like yeah there's a very it's a very real very pervasive threat that we're seeing on the right and with the way this country is going uh and when you you see people like kyle rittenhouse uh, you know that that this guy was a fan of it's hard not to believe that it, it is an open season yeah as opposed to like what you'll see from like donald trump's twitter page was like wesley snipes was very unfair to me right like like that's just like his petty bullshit stuff like yeah he's still a very hateful person too but at the same point too like 
his stuff was like the same stuff. Like you'll see out of like your average, like middle-class dad who's above like the age of 65. Dude. It's just like his version of the burn book from mean girls. It really is. And I'd, yeah, I'd much rather have that than like fucking Andy. No, or Mike Cernovich or I don't know, Nick Fuentes or any one of those, like just absolutely insane proud boy, like alt-right types who are inspiring uh, violence all across America. Like this is a very, like this is, this is not like a fringe thing anymore. This is becoming more and more mainstream. No, it is. And I mean, at a certain point, like all you see is like the fact that like Andy, no does nothing but like instigate against people. Like that's how that's his whole spiel. Like he just lies his ass off. He does. And you can tell that he's trying to target people too. Like that's, the easiest thing you can see like anyone who is not just trying to protect themselves and can actually like rub two brain cells together can see what Andy knows doing. <sighs> yeah, that's a, that's a sad one. Uh, we should end it on the, uh, you know, the truckers finally getting towed out. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It, man. it is so funny to see like conservatives on Twitter too. It's like, <gasps> The Ottawa police are brown shirts. Like, wow. This is war. Welcome to our, yeah. Welcome to the party, pal. Yeah. And my, and my favorite is like, this is, it, are, are the type of people who are, are trying to, uh, equivocate or say like, this is worse than, than anything that ever happened to BLM. Like, as if like BLM protesters last or, or in 2020 weren't like getting thrown in a, unmarked vans or like 10,000 people out. got arrested during BLM protests. Yeah. 10,000. So again, <laughs> sucks to suck, man. Fuck you guys. Yeah. Can you imagine what would happen if like a BLM protest tried to like park in, I don't know, let's say DuPont circle in DC and we tried to like it, shut it'd down. It'd be things. another version of the Philadelphia bombings. Remember when they just tried to hang out in front of the White House and all they did was just gas them and then chase them off so like Trump could do his little like Photoshop in his, front of the his, church? Yeah, his his Bible photo shoot. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh wow, you think the cops are the bad guys because they actually waited two weeks to actually do anything <laughs> to stop you. Like, wow, you learned what kettling is. Congratulations. Anyone who has like any sort of like dealing with the police, especially on the left. We were aware of this a little bit sooner before you. Yeah, this is <laughs> kind of par for the course. And to be honest, you got let off pretty easy. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. Like, and, and I know like you'll see that footage of that lady getting trampled by a horse or whatever, which like Sarah Carter from the Daily Caller, like said, like she died. It's like, nope, she did not. And then that like, took hours for people like, oh, yeah, well, maybe I was wrong about that. So, but. Of course, by then the damage is already done and doesn't really matter. And right. Like, honestly, like, and a lot of the people who were like going out there and saying to like, well, you know, I don't want my, I, I don't think that should happen to anyone. She's like, well, I'm not going to really like put up too much of a fuss when my enemies are fighting my other enemies. Like, that's like, oh no, don't do that. That's terrible. It's like, it is funny though. Like, it really is funny to see like, every sort of person who was like back the blue and all that, all of a sudden like turn on cops just because like, <laughs> which again, like case in point that these people believe in absolutely fucking nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing except for, except for what is immediately convenient. 
Yeah, the moment it stops being convenient is the moment they turn on it. <laughs> like if anyway, it's, it's like it's like that quote from like one of the January sixth writers who was like, "Why are you beating us up? You should be being a BLM protester." It's like a little on the nose there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really, uh, <laughs> really saying the quiet part loud. Yeah, and and people need to realize at a certain point, like capital, especially if you're like a reactionary force, like capital is going to give you as much leeway as humanly possible to do the right thing before they finally have to utilize force against you. Like, how do you have two weeks where you can just park on the Windsor bridge between like Detroit and Canada and be like, yeah, we're going to shut down like the largest like bridge of like imports between Canada and the United States. Yeah. Like at some point when you fuck around, you find out. Yeah, like, like at a certain point, like the cops are like, we have to do something. Like this is ridiculous now, right? And like the the footage of like people cheering on, like people getting towed out by cops, is the funniest thing I've ever seen. So good, dude. Mwah. Like so long, so, hey. face in your truck. <laughs> so there is some good news, you know. There is a little bit of hope in the world. Anyway, cops momentarily good, go. but not very long. <laughs> just for a second. Just for a second. Anyway, that's all we have for the headlines today. Tune in next week for even, you know, more fun, more fireworks. Uh, but now we're going to shift gears and we are going to uh, get into our interview that we recorded with uh, Jacob Kloppenstein. He's a former uh, KSL journalist and now a master student up at the University of Utah uh, Urban and City Development Program where we talk about the housing crisis in Salt Lake City. straight into the interview so what we've seen lately especially like salt lake has is growing exponentially the one thing that spencer cox loves to say more than anything is like we are the fastest growing state in the nation um and with that there's there's this bit of this this contrast this juxtaposition there where like salt lake is experiencing this renaissance and there's this really cool influx of you know new culture and food and and different scenes popping up like it's a city that bands actually want to come and see or or bands actually want to want to stop and and play a show at um but we've also witnessed that there's a dark side to it um and cost of living has absolutely skyrocketed uh can you point out some of the main reasons for such a seismic shift yeah so that's a great question and there's no short answer to it. There's, you know, tons of things going on um, and tons of factors at play. I think, you know, some of the, some of the big reasons that I see is that you're having people come from other areas, you know, California are more expensive cities Mm -hmm. and are they're on higher salaries and, 
able to to afford more expensive housing here in Salt Lake. You're getting people, you know, during COVID who can work from home as another part of that that right. are on a salary from New York or from Los Angeles, and they're making a lot more money and they can pay for a lot more housing. Uh, you're also dealing with zoning regulations and land use regulations that allow for only single family homes in most of the areas of Salt Lake City. So there's only a limited amount of developable land where you can put apartments or multifamily housing. And there's that limited amount of land that can be developed for those units. And you're seeing a lot of developers, you know, fight over that limited amount of land and the ones that went out are the ones with the biggest pockets sure. that have the most lobbyists and the most lawyers. And um, yeah, so there's, I mean, there's so many things at play that, you know, all came to a head within the last two to five years and are creating this, this housing crisis and this affordability crunch. And yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I've only been here for, for about five years myself, but it's, it's, you know, dramatically changed even during that mm-hmm. time that I've been here. It's gotten much more expensive and changed a lot. And it's, it's, it kind of feels like, you know, Greg, I mean, you and I were talking about this a little bit. It kind of feels like there's just no way out and sure. we're past the point of no return. So Jacob, I think my question is how long after the Great Salt Lake finally dries out or are we going to start building houses on it? <laughs> I mean, the land is already being bidded on probably by developers. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, it's like you bring up an interesting point that like it's we're seeing all these new housing units go up. I mean, anybody who's driven through downtown Salt Lake in the last two years, you know, it's it's a huge dramatic change with tons of new housing units. And I was I was kind of thinking about this today. The. We, you know, this, the city just didn't really build enough housing in, you know, decades prior. And now we're forced, forced into having to build all these new units. And that's, I think, part of the reason why you see so many of these new developments going up. Right. Like, I think, you know, obviously hindsight is always twenty twenty, but I don't think like, I think about kind of a D-Day for all of this as the 2002 Olympics, in that like that really is what puts Salt Lake City on the map. And that's, you know, when we first started the uh the I-15 construction and you saw more and more people uh move into the valley. But there seems to be a lot of short-sightedness uh in just the sheer number of people who are actually going to come into the valley, which has left uh a lot of people in in this really precarious predicament of like where can we put people like eventually like we're getting more and more of an urban sprawl, but like specifically to downtown, downtown Salt Lake, like we're running out of space unless we want to start making like eventually you've got to go up and that doesn't seem to be what what's happening. Um, and instead it's just, it's just more sprawl and more land that's just getting continually gobbled up. And then you're seeing people as well, like getting kicked out of their homes by developers buying entire blocks. And I, I guess like, I'm just wondering wh- where do we go from here? 
Yeah, you're definitely seeing people move out to, you know, Tooele County or like Saratoga Springs, Eagle Mountain, because they can't Mm -hmm. afford to live in the Salt Lake Valley anymore. I think part of this, too, is and I think Salt Lake City itself deals with this a lot in other issues as kind of the only real, you know, more progressive city in the valley and in the state. Salt Lake often has to shoulder the burden yeah. for things more than other areas. And that's that's kind of what's happening with housing. You know, you got to we Riverton. See with the homeless shelters. Yeah, like the, yeah, the, like, exactly. Like Utah County doesn't have a single homeless shelter. Right. And then they they have the, you know, anti-camping ordinance in Provo right. where they'll say we won't give you a ticket if you ship off to Salt Lake. And yeah, you're exactly right. Homeless homelessness is a big a big thing where Salt Lake is. Uh, you know, asked to shoulder more than it's, well, you know, fair share. I don't know if the, is the right word to describe homelessness, but, you know, the, there's more of a burden on Salt Lake than other areas. And the same thing is happening with housing where, you know, you go out to somewhere like Harriman or Riverton or whatever, they don't want to see high density housing. They don't want to see the big, right. big apartments. They don't want to see affordable housing. They want to see suburban detached single family homes and, there's no space for apartments, nor is there political will to build them. So you have Salt Lake being, you know, having this influx of, of new units because it's really the only city that is willing and able to handle that burden. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, then there's also a limited amount of space and developable land, like I was saying earlier in Salt mm-hmm. Lake. So, you know, we need we need those other areas to provide more affordable housing and more more units themselves. And that's not to say that none of them are doing that. You know, there's affordable housing developments in, in Sandy and Cottonwood Heights and in other areas, but certainly not to the extent that you're seeing in downtown Salt Lake right now. Yeah, I think this dovetails nicely into my next question, which is like, you know, ultimately, when it comes to real estate development and this housing crisis, you know, it boils down to capital, it boils down to greed, and it boils down to, to wealth. Um, but what, what if anything makes Salt Lake City's situation unique? Like, it seems like it's a city that is absolutely, completely beholden to real estate be- developers from the top up. Like, it seems like every other member of the Utah State Legislature is either like a real estate bro himself or a real estate lawyer or a, a politician who is willing to carry water for these for these developers, be it Spencer Cox or Aaron Mendenhall or, you know, down the totem pole. Yeah. And I Salt Lake City can't save the housing crisis on its own. You know, we right. need we need more political will and, you know, political action that frankly, I don't think we're going to get from the state level to solve some of these things, and, you know, as as you mentioned, it's, you know, there's a lot of landlords and a lot of real estate <laughs> developers who make up the Utah state legislature. So unfortunately, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Um, but, it, it, you know, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's the majority of land is only zoned for single family homes and you end up with a f- fight between real estate developers over the limited amounts of land that can be developed. Um, and the ones that went out are the richest ones. 
Um, that's not to say that, you know, we shouldn't invite more uh, development and more units because the fact of the matter is that those units, even if they look like all the same cookie cutter apartment buildings, uh-huh. that really benefits us in the long run. Um, because, you know, I think that even if you're seeing these units that don't look affordable, that have rents, you know, 2,500 or more people coming from out of state theoretically will come and live in those units instead of taking away units that are, are more affordable for other people. Um, I think the, the, the theory is that, you know, people coming from other states who have higher salaries or, or whatever, people who are in state and have higher salaries and can afford those more expensive units will move into those new units that have higher rents and won't take away existing housing that's, you know, at a more affordable rent price for people who really need it. Um, but that being said, I, I can certainly understand the sentiment of, you know, you drive down 400 South and see the same building every other block. And that's, <laughs> that's not great it's, either. So oh, dude, it's such a, it, it feels like such a kick in the dick too, especially when you see like, you know, me being someone who's lived or at least been Salt Lake adjacent my entire life. Uh, and like seeing establishments like in the venue and, and, you know, uh, the tabernacle or blue plate all of a sudden just be like some just God awful, uh, like high rise condo that won't be here in 30 years. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I, I can, I can certainly under understand that sentiment too. You know, that I saw a tweet a while ago that said, you know, I've, I can't blame people for not wanting to see the same building that won't be here in, in a few decades. Um, so, you know, I certainly understand that sentiment and I don't, I don't really know what the answer is to that either, but I, I, what I do know is that, you know, even though (laughs) you might not like the look of all these, these new apartment buildings going up, it kind of starts a chain reaction where people who have higher salaries and can afford higher rents will move into those new units, freeing up more units for middle and low income people who really need those, those existing units that are at a lower price point. Um, so it kind of starts a chain reaction from the top where, you know, more wealthy people move into those new, newer, nicer units with higher rents and kind of everything shifts up and, um, you know, people, people at lower income levels can, can then move into those existing units Right. So that sounds yeah. like is like quantity over quality is probably going to be the only way we kind of build ourselves out of this housing crisis we find ourselves in. Yeah, exactly. And Greg, you're right that we need to start building up instead of out and avoid that sprawl. Um, I, I really think that's the only way we get out of this. Um, but that, and I think at a certain point, we're going to do both because I mean, we when they decided to move the prison out by the great salt lake and everything like that, that kind of cast the die for what we're going to see for the next few decades too, because just like everything built up around point of the mountain back in the nineties and two thousands, it's going to do the same thing back by the great salt lake, especially when it comes like industrial buildings and things like that. Mm -hmm. Once you put the infrastructure in place for something like that out there, 
you're going to have tons of stuff go out there, especially by the airport, especially with the renovations to the airport. It kind of feels like the inland port is a bit of a testing ground. Maybe I'm getting a little too tinfoil hatty, but it kind of feels like that's that infrastructure that you're talking about. Uh, I mean, a little bit, but, but like once the state builds roads out there, like you're going to have a ton of buildup out there. If it's not residential, it's going to be like manufacturing and industrial yeah, commercial. And, you know, with the inland port, you'll obviously need workers there and people will want to live close there and not have to drive 30 minutes from Salt Lake out there. So, you know, there there will certainly be a need for housing, I think, out out there when the time comes. Well, it's 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 interesting you mentioned that the prison um, because the old prison site, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, is going to be turned into this development called The Point. Yeah, um, I have read about this. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of the idea there is to give everyone, you know, the services they need and kind of be a, a, a 20 minute neighborhood where everything you need is within, uh, you know, walking distance. And you'll you'll also have a transit stop where, you know, theoretically you wouldn't need a car or would have the need for, you know, only one car as opposed to two if you're, you know, in a family or whatever. Which um, sounds ideal, which is like how a city yeah. should run. Yeah. yeah, it is ideal. But I mean, it's also a necessity for that area, too, because that's probably one of the most inaccessible areas of the Salt Lake mm -hmm. Valley, too, because I-15 just comes to a standstill. They can add as many lanes as they want to going into Lehigh. No matter what, <laughs> you're still going to have that gridlock there. And, they, and they've tried. They have tried for 20 years to try and make that like an actual like road that people can drive on. And it's impossible. So if you have a big residential build up there, you're just going to make it much worse unless you make that self-contained. So, and I, I'm guessing that's probably the same conclusion they came to. Yeah. You're spe really speaking my language here as a, you know, I'm, I'm not a car owner and I think the prevailing viewpoint among city planners is that cars really create a lot of the big, big issues that cities are facing today. And there's, there's a joke kind of a running joke among city planners and urban planners that, you know, roads and transportation agencies are always saying one more lane will fix it, which does <laughs> is almost never the case. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, and the, the other, the other part of that is that developments like the point or higher density developments, like you're seeing, you know, kind of along that transit corridor on 400 South in Salt Lake, those are way, way more sustainable than any suburban sprawl development is. You know, you have everything within walking distance. You have, you know, people don't need to, to, to drive to Costco and buy a bunch of food that they're just going to throw out later. They can walk down to their, their grocery store and just pick up their food for, for you know, a couple days at a time because they when they run out, they can just walk right back to it. And they don't need to drive a car everywhere. So, you know, we we know that density in a lot of uh, in almost every case means that, you know, you'll be more sustainable. And, you know, that's kind of another side of this, this housing affordability crisis is, you know, we're also dealing with, with climate change and right. we have a, we have a very demonstrable need in Salt Lake as we see every year with the, the air pollution and inversions that come into the winter, we need people to drive less and we need more sustainable developments. That's, that's another one of the questions that really, uh, I think is very uh, relevant right now in this housing crisis is that it seems like it's f f from, from everything we get from 
leadership. It, it is full speed ahead on development and, and increasing population despite like rapid changes in the climate and a, like us being in a horrific drought. Like, is this, is this growth even sustainable? Like we're, we're, we're seeing Spencer Cox flying Blackhawk helicopters out to the, uh, the great salt lake to show everyone how dwindling it is and how dire and then like out of the opposite side of his mouth saying like no like we want to be the the fastest growing state in the nation like how how is how is this even possible yeah and i mean spencer cox famously drove 7000 miles every every right. day burning fossil fuels in his car when he was lieutenant governor or whatever but anyway um still does by the way yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, more higher density development is is more sustainable, but that's not the only thing that's going to get us out of climate change. You know, you can't really build your way out of climate change. Um, so we need we need a lot more. We need more more housing units and, and more denser neighborhoods isn't going to solve our climate issue either. You know, we need better transit. We need more green space in our cities. We need, uh, you know, <laughs> we need all kinds of things. It's not, it's not, it's not that simple. And, you know, I don't, I don't really think that any, any housing development or housing policy can fix, fix climate change in a super meaningful way. It's part of the solution, but it's not going to get there on its own. Mm-hmm. Now, I kind of want to rewind the tape a little bit and, and talk more about uh, kind of the dark side of this Salt Lake Renaissance that we've already mentioned. Um, and and another one of the, the dark sided elements is the uh, steady stream of gentrification that we're seeing throughout the entire city, be it the west side, you know, the ninth and ninth neighborhood. The one thing that's like really kicked me in the gut is watching Maza turn into like a piece of shit chicken restaurants. Um, you know, and that's just like another, it's just like one example, like one iteration of what is just like a, a, a much bigger problem. Like it's, it's a microcosm. Um, <clears throat> but why has this become such a huge problem in Salt Lake city and why is Salt Lake city so ripe for this type of gentrification? Yeah. Yeah. So gentrification as a word has a lot of different meanings to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's not really a definitive, you know, meaning for what that really is. Um, I think personally what gentrification boils down to is investment in an area that has previously not seen investment. Um, So that's kind of the most basic definition of gentrification. Um, We're actually studying as in partnership with the city, my, my city and metropolitan planning program at the university of Utah, um, is engaged in a gentrification and displacement mitigation study with the city where we're kind of looking at what factors affect neighborhoods and make them primed for gentrification and how we can stop that and mitigate it and get out ahead of it. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, I think a big part of it is our, our, our zoning and our, our land use decisions. Um, 
again, there's so much land in this city that you can Mm -hmm. only build single family homes on. And so the areas that tend to become gentrified are areas where you don't have that zoning, which in a lot of times means, you know, lower income areas. Um, But the other thing that we're seeing, and again, this study that we're working on at the U is, you know, in very preliminary stages, um, you kind of see movement across cities out from areas that have already been gentrified. Um, An example is the Sugar House area is, you know, in pretty much gentrified late stages of gentrification. Um, What we're seeing now is that kind of wave of gentrification move geographically across the city. It's kind of moving to the West into Liberty Wells, into ballpark, which is kind of there to the Northwest of Liberty Wells. Mm -hmm. Um, Something about ballpark as opposed to Liberty Wells is that it has a lot more land that's zoned for commercial uses and um, more mixed use types of development, whereas Liberty Wells has a lot more single family housing. Um, With ballpark, there's also transit lines. So you're seeing a lot more development in ballpark than somewhere like Liberty Wells. Um, And so, you know, gentrification is, it's, it's kind of something that we, we've, we don't really know a whole lot about and we don't really know how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what we're trying to, we're trying to get out into the neighborhoods of Salt Lake and talk to people, see what they're experiencing, see how their neighborhoods have changed over the last five, 10, 20 years and kind of try to understand why, you know, this might happen or why certain areas might be experiencing gentrification and others might not. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, my my next question with this is when you talk about gentrification is like investing in in an area that hasn't been invested uh, in before seems to me like there can be some some positive connotations there and some positive outcomes. Um, But what usually tends to happen and, and what we're seeing throughout the city now, correct me if I'm wrong, is that this gentrification is is skyrocketing rents um and making it making places much more or or much less affordable so it's like how do we get that investment to work for the public instead of the outcome just like being another shitty yoga studio and 17 dollar chicken sandwiches right right yeah and you know there's kind of a sentiment among urban planners that you can't really stop change, but you can get out ahead of it and try mm-hmm. and, you know, make it work in your favor or make it work to, you know, get your city to a productive Yeah, like place. Change, change is not necessarily a bad thing. And there are plenty yeah. of neighborhoods in Salt Lake City uh, that could really benefit from some change and some investment. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we we need those changes, we need more, you know, businesses, we need more investment in a lot of areas of the city, we need those grocery stores and those restaurants. And, you know, we need those things to go into to places like, you know, Glendale, Rose Mm -hmm. Park, and those areas. But 
uh, you're right that we want to control that change and make sure that it benefits the people who have, have been there before. And, you know, that's another part of the study that we're looking at is how to avoid displacing people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as we've, we've talked about, there's just not a lot of, um, tenant protections at the state level. Um, so there's just some things that, you know, we don't have like rent controls and things like that in the state of Utah. And there's just not a lot of, a lot of tenant protections like, um, you know, that, that would, that would help mitigate that displacement, both for residents and businesses. Um, you know, I, I kind of think something like, a, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of like a right to return kind of policy. Um, I've, I've heard about it, but I'm, I'm certainly not a scholar where, you know, if you're, if a developer buys your a plot of land that your home is on and plans to, you know, tear your home down or tear your apartment building down that you're living in and build something new, then you would have a, a legal right to return um, to the new building or the new property. Um, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not really sure how, how, if, if Salt Lake or any places in Utah have that, um, I'm sorry, I don't know that offhand, but, uh, you know, something there's, there's, you know, more progressive policies that can be implemented like that, that, you know, have the effect of, of avoiding, you know, displacing people who have, who have been in that neighborhood before. Um, there's, um, there, there, there is some movement on that in Salt Lake City. If you uh, Google affordable housing overlay in Salt Lake City, um, the city is kind of looking at some policies and some proposals that can help with, you know, affordable housing policies and also that kind of anti-displacement anti so we can keep people here who have been here before and not price them out of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the big things that we continue to hit on is how how much how more and more people are getting priced out of the city, which of course exacerbates the problem. It exacerbates the <laughs> the homeless community. Um, it displaces folks from the city. It limits where people can can live. Um, does Salt Lake City have any plans? You know, outside of like the the tiny home communities, or you know snatching the Ramada in on North temple and, and are, are there any other plans for, or, or any long-term solutions for more affordable housing and, and ways to shelter the unhoused? Yeah. And um, I, I'm not sure on, you know, more widespread homeless aid policies at the city level. Um, so I'm not sure I can really speak to that. Um, but you know, like I said, the, the, the city is kind of looking at some more affordable housing policies and proposals. Um, and you know, I, I, I feel like there's just always something new happening with how this city and the state treats its homeless population. Yeah. Um, (laughs) it seems like every other day there's a new, there's a new story, some, some breaking news on Twitter about how like a homeless encampment has been bulldozed or, you know, there's another police raid or, you know, of course there was the famous operation Rio Grande, which ended up being just an absolute disaster. 
yeah, it's it seems to be kind of a lack of communication sometimes between mm-hmm. the city and the county and the state. Um, and you know, me personally, I homeless population is always treated as like it's some problem to be solved, mm-hmm. and people forget that you know they're human beings and they deserve dignity too and when you look at it as like it's a problem that needs to be solved well then you just end up moving these people all over the place and that lack of stability is not good for that population either no not at all i mean like the idea of like opening up more shelters is on paper a good one but like anyone who's ever been in one of those shelters can just pretty much just tell you to, it's like, it's essentially like jail for the free. Like you have so many things you have to go through. There's so many rules you have to follow. And, and that's why the encampments are as large as they are, because some people's like, I don't want to do that. I want to at least have some sort of autonomy to myself that they can't get in the shelter. And, and I don't necessarily think it's a lack of communication between like the state, local and federal governments at a certain point. It's a lack of political will. I mean, it's a problem they don't want to address because they don't necessarily see those people as human beings. Like it, it's, it's a numbers game. It's like, we have so many homeless, we have to put them in so many shelters and we have these many beds and that's all they think about. And like, and I also think about like this, interesting study I found from like early on, well, not early on, but like kind of midway through like the COVID pandemic that the university of Washington and King County conducted where they essentially just kind of put like, cause at that point too, they found out the shelters were just a hotbed for COVID. So what they did was they started putting people in hotels and they started like assessing the, the success rate between people who were in the hotels and people who were in the shelters. And what they found was the people who were in the hotels could actually have security and stability and you had so much better outcomes because they, and, and in the interviews they talked with people too, it's like, yeah, I could think for the first time in a long time. And when I did that, yeah, I was it's able amazing. to, yeah, it's, it's amazing a, what happens when your basic needs are met. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, like, I don't think even if you build 15 new shelters in Salt Lake city, you're not going to do that because people aren't able to concentrate on what needs to happen in their lives when they're in the shelter. And until we start having, and I, I, and it's finally starting to come to Salt Lake too. I think like the old airport in has been turned into like a, like a shelter for homeless people. And I think the same thing for the Ramada Inn on Redwood and North temple. And those are great. And that that's probably the only way we're ever going to actually come close to a solution. In- yeah, I think I, I I think that you know uh, really the 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 way you get out of an affordable housing crisis is to build large scale publicly funded housing mm-hmm. projects, and that's just something that we don't really have anymore in the U.S. You know, a lot of those projects stopped being built in the '80s, which I'll it's not really hard to see why there was a political reason in the 1980s across the U S not to build (laughs) uh, a public service or a public welfare project. What? No, um, not in the eighties. Yeah. Can you believe it? Um, 
Happy but, President's you know. Day, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 I, can, I know exactly what you're talking about, too, because that lack of political will kind of also falls into political motives as well. Um, not necessarily America, but in the UK, um, the former uh, liberal Democrats leader, uh, Nick Clegg, said that when he was in like when he was in like coalition discussions with the Tories, someone told him we're not building council housing anymore because we're not going to build more labor voters. And, and that's exactly the point too. Is like, if you, if you show that people that government works and if you're a Republican and if you're a Republican who runs on government, doesn't work on on austerity and rugged individualism, that that's shows that your entire thesis for how government functions is completely wrong. So of course you're not going to follow through on that. All right. I'm going to, since, since we've talked, we're talking about solutions. Um, I do want to talk about the, the program that you are a part of, and that is thriving in Utah SLC. It's, it's thriving in place SLC. You can go to thriving in place, SLC.org. Um, this is the gentrification and displacement mitigation study that I'm working on through the University of Utah uh, that I've mentioned. Um, there's a number of partners with that. Uh, the city, um, the, there's a place out of Berkeley that's called the Urban Displacement Project, which is, they have some really interesting stuff. That's also, they're also a partner on, on this project. Um, but yeah, we're running a survey through this uh, initiative right now that people can go and take um, that kind of asks people about their own experiences with, with housing and, you know, rent prices and housing prices and their experiences with, you know, change in the city. Um, and, you know, we're gathering survey data from that and, um working on that and hopefully we'll turn that into some policies and some proposals that can help, you know, people stay and thrive in Salt Lake city. Excellent. Are there other, if people want to get involved, um, how do they do so? And are there any other, uh, programs or organizations throughout the Salt Lake Valley that you would recommend uh, getting in contact with? Yeah. Um, one thing I would encourage people to get involved with um, is neighborhood community councils. Um, that's an important tool that cities use to kind of gauge what's happening in various parts of the neighborhoods, you know, that the city doesn't have time or staffing resources to go out and be on the ground. And um, the problem with community councils is that the makeup of those tends to be people who have the time, the money and the resources to, you know, go out on a Tuesday night or whatever and go to a meeting for a couple of hours. Um, so community councils often don't really reflect the diverse populations of their communities. Um, so I would encourage people, if you care about these issues, if you care about housing being affordable, if you care about Salt Lake City, you know, being a sustainable and affordable place, an equitable place to live in the future, I would encourage people to see what's going on on, you know, 
the Yale Crest Community Council or, or wherever you live. And, you know, even if you fit, fit the demographic makeup of, you know, white, more affluent, and, you know, you can still advocate for more progressive policies that are inclusive for everybody, I think you would be a valuable voice on those community councils. And, you know, I'd also take another opportunity to, to, to plug our study. It's thrivinginplaceslc.org. You can find a lot more information on all the stuff I've been talking about. And you can take our survey. You can enter to win a $50 gift card to Red Iguana if you take our survey. So that's a perk. <laughs> um, so well, yeah. Happily press some buttons for some mole. Yeah, same. Absolutely. absolutely. And yeah, just keep an eye on that website. There'll be updates there. Um, you know, it's kind of the beginning stages of this and it's going to be a, a long process, but we hope it'll be a, a, a fruitful and beneficial pro- process. And then my last question, and we'll, we'll put a bow on this is uh, how can people get a hold of you if they have questions about, about things? Sure. Yeah. I'm on Twitter at JF Klopfenstein. Hopefully you'll put that in your show notes so people don't have to guess how to spell Klopfenstein. (laughs) Yeah. People can feel free to reach out to me there. Um, And yeah, just keep an eye on, I guess, University of Utah planning school stuff where we're a great program that's working to, you know, make, make Salt Lake city a better place and, yeah. Well, we won't take up any more of your time, but thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that's Jacob Klopfenstein, University of Utah master's degree student right now, uh, former KSL journalist. Thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, thank you. It was really great talking with you guys about this. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. This is Brigham Young Money signing off. Take care of yourselves. Bye.